from WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Bob Pavlovich. On today's show, a hybrid pedestrian beacon has been introduced at a busy New Orleans crosswalk. We'll check in to see how it's being received. The University of New Orleans welcomed a new president in November. We'll speak with her to find out what she's discovered in the first few weeks of her job. But first, it's Thursday. And that means it's time to catch up on This Week in Politics. The Times-Picayune, the Advocate's editorial director and columnist, Stephanie Grace, spoke with our managing producer, Alana Schreiber, for more. Governor-elect Jeff Landry is about a month away from taking office, and he's been making some moves that may give us some sense of what to expect in his term. I understand he just hired a former rival? Yes, this week he announced a hire that wasn't a huge surprise, He's bringing on Richard Nelson, the former one-term state representative from Mandeville, as his Secretary of Revenue. Uh, People may remember Nelson was a candidate in the governor race until pretty late in the game. Uh, He was kind of this classic young man in a hurry, you know, very smart, talked very fast, very young looking. um, And he kind of hoped lightning would strike and it, it didn't. But, you know, he did impress people. Um, But he was never able to kind of make a dent in Landry's big lead. So when he dropped out of the race and endorsed Landry, there was certainly an expectation that he might end up on the governor's staff. Um, what's most interesting to me is the job that he'll have. Is that because he was such a vocal proponent of eliminating the state income tax? Uh, yes, exactly. Um, eliminating the state income tax was really Nelson's main campaign plank. Uh, and it's long been kind of a Republican talking point. The idea that Florida and Texas are thriving in a way that Louisiana isn't, and they don't have income taxes. Uh, of course, they have other taxes that are higher than in Louisiana, like property taxes. Um, but this move puts kind of a forceful advocate for this change in the governor's cabinet. Uh, you know, what we haven't talked about yet, or what Nelson did talk about, but Landry has not really talked about, is uh, what other taxes you'd have to raise to make up for the lost revenue, or else, you know, what services they would cut. And that's something no politician of any party likes to talk about. Landry also had an event in New Orleans last week that got a lot of people's attention. Tell us about that. Yeah, he had an event with, of all people, Orleans Paris District Attorney Jason Williams. And the two of them announced a deal for the Attorney General's Office to prosecute crimes in New Orleans based on state police investigations. Uh, Landry, of course, is the current Attorney General, and his top deputy, Liz Merle, has been elected to take over for him. So they will really be acting in concert. Um, A big part of the backstory here is that Landry and Williams have been at odds for years, and certainly during the campaign, when Landry criticized Williams and other New Orleans progressives for not doing enough to stop crime. So the friendly press conference was a little surprising on Landry's part and, and also on Williams' part. Um, Williams actually spoke very forcefully about the need for such partnerships to be the norm, not the exception. So it was really a change in tone. Um, I I should add, though, that Williams has shown a pragmatic streak during his time as office. Uh, For example, he ran when he ran, he said he would not prosecute juveniles as adults in office. He has a number of times, a a few times in cases that are particularly heinous. Um, So that has, you know, kind of angered his very progressive supporters, but I think probably has some widespread support um, as New Orleans has really faced a lot of crime. Um, An interesting side note here is that the attorney general's office is handling the prosecution against the people accused of carjacking Williams and his mother in 
October that was kind of a very high profile crime and luckily they weren't heard. Um, in that case, juvenile defendants are being tried as adults by the attorney general's office. Stephanie Grace is a columnist and editorial director for the Times-Picayune, The Advocate. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Bob Pavlovich. The University of New Orleans began 65 years ago on the lakefront in New Orleans. It's weathered Hurricane Katrina and COVID-19, and enrollment has taken a hit. On November 1st, UNO welcomed a new president, Kathy Johnson. She most recently served as executive vice chancellor and chief academic officer at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, and she joins us now. Thank you for speaking with us, President Johnson. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And we should note, WWNO is licensed to the University of New Orleans and is independently funded and operated. So how has the first month gone? You know, it has been very busy, but very busy in a good way. I've been able to spend lots of time on campus meeting with students, meeting with faculty and staff, and and also meeting with members of our community, various business leaders um, who have been incredibly welcoming and full of very good advice. What has surprised you? You know, I don't think I had many surprises. I knew the campus because, of course, during the interview process, I was able to come to Louisiana a couple of times, and I've been to New Orleans a fair amount of time over the course of my career, mostly for meetings. We do have, as you were mentioning, um, some opportunities to strengthen our enrollments, but that really wasn't a surprise. I have lots of ideas about how we might think about doing things a little bit differently in the future, but really, I'm just delighted to be here. What priorities do you bring to the position? Yeah, so I have been a leader at a, a institution with a very similar mission. I've spent the vast majority of my career at urban public research universities. And I think above all, our mission has to stay focused on the success of our students, making sure that we remain affordable, making sure that we are um, able to be transformational through the students that we graduate, through the degrees that we produce. But I think we also have a really important other part of our mission, and that is utilizing our faculty talents. Um, We have outstanding faculty who do research in a wide array of areas. We should be hopefully harnessing their excellence to help New Orleans get stronger, to help our state to thrive. And ideally, they should be incorporating students into that work, whether it be as research assistants or Mm -hmm. as interns or into service learning opportunities. What brought you to apply for this position at UNO? Yeah, so as I said, I've spent uh, a lot of time at an institution with a similar mission, and I honestly uh, can't imagine being at a different sort of institution. It's just very uh, close to my heart and consistent with my own values regarding what education should be for in our society. Mm -hmm. Um, So being able to do that in a place where it seemed like there are opportunities for growth in areas that I feel very confident about leading in, that made it really attractive. And then you throw in New Orleans and it became just a dream job. I love this city. I love the multiculturalism of this city. And I love that that is also part of our student body, the mm-hmm. ability to, to lead a campus where diversity and multiculturalism is, is truly embedded into the student experience. I mean, that's really huge. And I think it's important in the United States today. 
Before Hurricane Katrina, UNO had more than 17,000 students. Last year, it enrolled around 7,000. Enrollment continues to be a major concern. What's your plan to attract more students? Yeah, so first I would say that lots of institutions like the University of New Orleans are experiencing some bumps. We've known for a while that there was going to be fewer high school students graduating because, of course, they were born around the time of the Great Recession back in 2008. So I think many institutions have been planning for change. I think that the pandemic kind of accelerated those changes because, frankly, the economy shifted and many students who would have perhaps ordinarily have gone back to college or come to college now are able to earn a pretty decent wage. My prediction is that over time, that's going to ebb and flow a little bit and and a college degree will still be useful and a value to people, we really need to do a better job of retention. I firmly believe that when we admit a student, we have an ethical obligation to do anything in our power to meet those students where they are and to make sure that they have a great experience here and that they're able to graduate ideally within four or five years, five years at the most, Mm -hmm. ideally four. I also really, really think that there's tremendous opportunities of bringing students to New Orleans from other parts of the country and other parts of the world, especially the Gulf State region. But we know that there are so many students in other parts parts of the world that really can't be accommodated by educational systems within their own countries Mm -hmm. at the level that that they would like. And so I do think that we need to make efforts to capitalize on those needs. Um, And I say capitalize carefully, because what I really think that that will do is help to diversify our student body even further. I, I think it's really, really wonderful when students from Louisiana can be in class with students from other parts of the world. I think it helps prepare them for entering jobs um, that are going to be much more globally oriented in the future. So that diversity element is is really, really important. I also just say one more area that I think we need to think deeply about, and that is beyond the traditionally aged students. So thinking about adults who might have been in a career for a while, but want to shift to something else, Mm -hmm. um, or perhaps adults who would like to complete a degree that they started a long time ago. So thinking very strategically about helping adults to navigate back to and through certificate programs, um, degrees, I think that's another area of opportunity. We're speaking with Dr. Kathy Johnson, the new president of the University of New Orleans. Uh, President Johnson, UNO has been, from the beginning, largely a commuter-driven college. How do you help facilitate that cohesiveness and camaraderie that's important for a college campus while at the same time change that identity to what you've mentioned and that's bringing in more national and international students to the campus? Yeah. So I think that urban public research universities are always going to need to be anchors within their cities. I think there's always going to be a need for institutions like ours because that's where the population density is. Um, That's where the career shifters are. And that's where students will always need to go in order to help ensure that their education is as affordable as possible. We are always going to be serving some students that in order to save money are going to want to live at home and commute to campus. So I really am a firm believer in the importance of designing the educational experience to make sure that every student has opportunities to participate in what I often think of as experiential forms of learning. You know, we've got courses, we've got 
athletics and other aspects of the co-curriculum, but we have these types of learning that are really, really important for one thing, for helping students to feel that sense of cohesion that you were mentioning. But I think these are the sorts of experiences that also help students to grow professionally, um, developing those transferable skills that employers often say that they want communication, the ability to work in teams. And they come from experiences like these service learning, doing a service project as part of a course, working as a team on a group project, uh, working as an undergraduate research assistant, doing an internship or an externship, having an international experience. And I think you can do that even without leaving campus. You can have experiences with international students. You can have experiences in a global classroom with students from another part of the world learning together with you. You can be a leader. And, and these are the sorts of things that I think we need to embed into degree programs. So it's not just that the students who are able to kind of opt in derive those benefits. It should be unavoidable mm -hmm. for all of our students to have those sorts of experiences. And I think we do that by working with faculty to make sure that these are embedded into degree plans, into, into pathways within degrees so that it's, it's impossible to miss out on them. You were talking about uh, programs and faculty. UNO has some nationally recognized in both. In what fields do you think UNO can grow and, and better distinguish itself? That's a great question, and it's still early days for me. So I confess I probably shouldn't wade too deeply into that particular question. I've mm -hmm. heard, of course, wonderful things about those programs that have been designed to really reflect New Orleans, um, either as a city or at least reflect the needs of the New Orleans community. So programs like hotel and travel administration, um, programs like jazz, programs like creative writing, these have a long and very storied history in this region. And of course, our alumni and our faculty are, are testaments to that. You know, I think that we would be remiss if we didn't continue to think about how we could move our programs into the future. We have computer science and, and I believe we're building a cybersecurity program, but I think there's opportunities to think about the entire spectrum of computing from informatics to information technology to um, artificial intelligence. These are increasingly, I think, going to be part of the way that all of us do our work. And I think we're going to need to think creatively about how to bundle opportunities for people to learn, whether it be through certificates or badges, opportunities to learn these sorts of skills, even if they're pursuing a more traditional degree at the same time. I've heard you speak of the social mobility of students. What does that mean? Yeah, that's, um, you know, one of the reasons why I love these kinds of, of universities. I, I think, you know, technically social mobility means from moving one socioeconomic class, if you will, to a higher one. But what that means in practice, especially for those of us in the higher education space, is that the students that we often serve, frankly, are often the first in their family to go to college. Many of them come from homes in which there are constraints on the resources that families can spend to help their sons and daughters to go to college. And so students come in with some challenges, frankly, that we need to rise up and, and provide support around. 
we need to make sure that we're doing everything in our power to maintain affordability as a core element of a UNO education, making sure that our students don't have to incur huge amounts of debt as they go to school. And then we need to make sure that our programs are of very high quality so that when they graduate, they are able to rapidly move into the workforce or, or into more school if that's what they're choosing to do. But my point is we need to position them well to have you know more than a living wage. Again, these are the sorts of transformative experiences that urban universities can help to create that benefit students, of course, and the workforce, but they also have incredible impacts on people's families mm -hmm. and on people's communities that are just incredibly gratifying to me. Dr. Kathy Johnson, president of the University of New Orleans, thank you for speaking with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly been a pleasure. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Bob Pavlovich. Walking and biking in New Orleans is dangerous. In 2021, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says 21 pedestrians died in New Orleans. And the city has the highest rate of fatal bicyclist crashes among major metro areas in the country, according to Axios. To help combat the problems, New Orleans has embraced a complete streets policy to make the city friendlier for pedestrians, cyclists, motorists, and public transit users. And one of the clearest examples of that effort is the pedestrian hybrid beacon, now on Carrollton Avenue at the Lafitte Greenway. Here to give us a status report on the device is Jennifer Rooley, Mobility and Safety Division Manager for the New Orleans Department of Public Works. Thanks for being here, Jennifer. Thank you. So, Jennifer, first, what is a pedestrian hybrid beacon? Yeah, so a pedestrian hybrid beacon is a newer type of facility to fill a gap, really, in pedestrian safety that we've seen for, for a long time. So we know that pedestrian fatalities are rising throughout the United States, especially mm -hmm. in urban areas. New Orleans is no exception. It's been deployed in a number of cities and has been shown to reduce pedestrian crashes by up to half. So like 55% reduction. That's a pretty significant reduction. Mm -hmm. So how does it work for pedestrians and cyclists? It's a different type of facility than than we've seen before uh, in the city. And if you've traveled around the nation, you may have seen these in, along urban corridors, that sort of thing, in other cities. The main difference here is that when the pedestrian activates the signal, it takes a few seconds, but it, it'll cycle to a solid red for the drivers, which means they have to stop. Just like a regular signal, solid red means stop. Mm -hmm. When the signal has allowed the pedestrian to cross, then it'll go into a flashing mode. So it'll be a red flashing mode. And at that point, it's more of a stop if a pedestrian is using in the crosswalk. And that includes a bicyclist or a pedestrian. And look, yield to that user in the crosswalk. When that solid red comes on, that pedestrian or the bicyclist is actually getting a walk signal. And then they're getting a countdown timer to let them know there's only this many seconds left for you to walk across the um, crosswalk. So there's a lot more information being provided to all parties. And this is the reason why this type of facility is more effective than just a flashing amber. The Lafitte Greenway at Carrollton Avenue in New Orleans is a busy crosswalk, and it's not at an intersection. It sounds like it's a natural fit. 
for anyone who's crossed that intersection, you've probably had some experience with, you know, vehicles not yielding or close calls, that sort of thing. And so we knew that that was a good location to deploy this type of facility. Mm -hmm. And so we worked with our state partners on a safety grant and the safety grant would fund 100% of the cost of this type of facility. And this is the first pedestrian hybrid beacon that the Louisiana Department of Transportation and Development and the Department of Public Works have ever installed. Mm-hmm. It was a really good opportunity to go in a, a new direction that could potentially result in more locations being addressed through these facilities. So now that the PHB is in up for a while, what, what have you seen? How is it working? We've been observing uh, periodically on how it's working. And so far over the the last four weeks, we've seen um, real improvements in the stopping and yielding behavior. There have been some adjustments along the way to really clear things up so that the pedestrians get a more reliable response when they activate the signal. And also that drivers know what to expect. So we've been trying to get information out to the general public on how the facility operates. What do pedestrians and cyclists think of it? In the beginning, the signal was really tied to the operation of the two adjacent intersections. And so it wouldn't um, light up immediately when someone activated it. So Mm -hmm. there was a little frustration on the part of the pedestrians and cyclists using the Greenway. However, we've adjusted that. We've made some timing changes. And now it's a more immediate response. And so far... You know, with those adjustments and just really monitoring and keeping a close eye on how people are using it, um, I, I think that the operations have gotten a lot smoother mm-hmm. and and users of the Greenway feel a lot safer. Any reaction from motorists that you've heard? I haven't heard any reactions per se, but I actually sit out there and observe how people are using it. And mm-hmm. so sometimes I'll see a little confusion, like people don't know you know, exactly when they're supposed to stop and not proceed or, you know, if they're supposed to proceed and not stop. So I was sitting out there this morning and I I saw everyone was using it properly and it just takes some time to adjust. Uh, I've seen it working under different conditions and we're just going to keep on monitoring and making sure that we can get information out, fill those information gaps for people, answer questions as needed if there are any questions about how it's how it's being used. Any plans to put any more of them around the city? Yes, I think that with this system, um, you know, working on those sets of challenging conditions where we have multi-lanes of traffic and heavy volumes, we do anticipate expanding. The next location most people will see is on Broad at Luffy Greenway. So Broad Street is US 90 business, and it is a state highway. Not all intersections qualify for a pedestrian hybrid beacon. I mean, there are certain standards that we have to meet. Mm -hmm. Um, However, it's a new tool in the toolbox for really tackling that stubborn pedestrian safety issue that we've had as a city in trying to bring new innovative technologies to the scene. So we hope that with more of these, we'll be able to start to see a decline in pedestrian fatalities, and that'll be a huge accomplishment for everyone. I've been doing this work in New Orleans for about 20 years, and the more tools we have, the better, and the more we can deploy to meet the challenges throughout the city. Jennifer Rooley, Mobility and Safety Division Manager under the Department of Public Works. Thanks for being here. Thank you. 
From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Bob Pavlovich. Thanks to our guests, Stephanie Grace, editorial director and columnist for the Times-Picayune The Advocate, Jennifer Rooley, Mobility and Safety Division Manager for the New Orleans Department of Public Works, and Dr. Kathy Johnson, President of the University of New Orleans. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, our assistant producer, Aubrey Purcell, our engineer, Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience. More at rouse's.com with additional support from Southern Strategy Group.